Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Create Magic Podcast. We are here with another installment of the Creative Weirdos segment, where I talk to my friends, old and new, about creative and weird stuff. And today, I am so excited to share this conversation with y'all. I have Joey Howe, who is one of the best artists and illustrators I've uh, found on the interwebs here. And not only do I love his visual work, but man, we clicked so immediately once we hopped on this podcast. We have shot back some uh, messages uh, on Instagram that were, you know, pretty telling that we jived a lot with the way we think about creativity, but it really flowed. And there's some really fun little synchronicities along the way. We talk all about David Lynch and fishing for ideas and where this stuff comes from, plus a ton of other just fun weirdness. So I hope you all enjoy. Definitely go follow Joey off the Instagram and website and all that goodness linked below. And yeah, support Joey in whatever way you can and enjoy this conversation. I'll be talking to you tomorrow. Bye. One of them is David Lynch. Um, yeah. Okay, so Joey, we are officially recording. Um, I'm real stoked to have you here. Like I said before, we were recording. I'll do a proper introduction and all of that stuff post podcast. And I just kind of want to jump into what we were just talking about. Um, and essentially, that was kind of uh, free, free form talking about where the ideas come from and where these, you know inspiration i guess for lack of a better word comes from for artists mm-hmm. and whatnot and i just watched a documentary on um on david lynch and his thoughts on transcendental meditation and creativity mm-hmm. and all of this stuff it's free on youtube i'll link it in this episode because it's That's so great. worth watching it's like one of the most inspiring things i've seen in so long and one of the things he constantly is talking about is this idea of fishing for ideas that that, mm-hmm. that you're you're hunting for ideas you're not an artist that like like somebody at some point asks him like what his view on uh female roles are in his uh in his movies and in his work and he was like i don't have any i don't start with this is a female i start with an idea and that idea needs to embody a female and that all comes afterwards so it's kind of you know the idea comes first and then you let the idea lead you to what the character is going to be and all of those kind of like detailed oriented things but Mm -hmm. I i love that there's just a million ways to look at this and one of the consistence in all of it whether it's David Lynch or what we were just talking about is it seems like this stuff comes from the outside and we're kind of filtering and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that side of the creative life that you have absolutely and what's uh very interesting about this particular podcast is I've been a major uh David Lynch fan but I would say more than I've been a fan of his work which his work is great some of it is a little hard to watch <laughs> I mean it's mm-hmm. it's in, it's very intense but I've been more uh, a huge fan of David Lynch as a person and like the what you're talking about how he uh has these ideas um, how he gets through his projects, how he looks at them. And I've tried to embody that myself just as him as a role model. I really like the idea of 
David Lynch talking about um, going fishing for ideas. So it's all about patience. It's all about love and um, and finding the things that you fall in love with and uh, never taking a bad idea, only taking good ideas. Um, and that's all deciphered and filtered through the individual. So, yeah, I think that is at the crux of um, just getting an idea that you think is worth it, which is also like a thing that's hard to do. It's like creative block. It's like uh, you have to fall in love with these ideas, but you can't just sit around doing nothing. You have to go fishing, which is basically just sitting there and, and longing for an idea and they'll come and they don't, who knows where they come from, <laughs> but they <Yeah>. come <laughs> and you just sit around and one will hit you in the, in the, in the mind and you'll go, yep, that's it. And you'll, you know, mm -hmm. put it in the icebox figuratively and sit around waiting for the other ones that are related to it. And absolutely, that's a lot. I think that's how a lot of my stuff works. My, a lot of my work is pretty abstract and full of multiple um, things. And I think a lot of that has to do with getting a main idea that I really like and then just looking at it. And then eventually I'll put one thing in. And then now that one thing has opened up my mind to think about other things. And it kind of just stacks in that way. But yeah. David Lynch is a huge, huge inspiration for me. So it's it's actually funny that you mentioned that right off the bat. <laughs> and it's so funny that I just rant literally randomly. So the way that I watched that video last night actually was because every year around the end of the year, I watch uh, Grant Morrison's talk at DisinfoCon. It's one of my favorite just like talks on magic and art and creativity in general. Um, uh, another one I'll probably link in this episode because, again, it's one of those ones you watch and you just want to go make stuff stuff and that's my favorite type of content to consume um but uh it just recommended that david lynch documentary and i was like oh yeah i'm definitely going to check this out and i got hooked right away and what you just said well one that makes so much sense with your work i love how kind of lush the worlds you build in each illustration are like you can really find a whole bunch of different places throughout one image which is something that like can be very hard to pull off in a consistent and interesting way. So I love that what you just said, it kind of leans into that. It starts with that idea and then expands from there. But uh, the idea of falling in love with ideas is so powerful to me and so beautiful because it really is that like love is so rebellious in a lot of ways. And it makes you remember that like, it's one of the best ways to experience novelty and to create something that is made from that place of exploring love and falling in love with those ideas just kind of uh, spreads that throughout the world more. And in that documentary, David Lynch explains that like when he gets an idea, it's like when you're walking down the street and there's all these beautiful ladies passing by you and none of them are really doing it for you. But then you turn the corner and bam, it's the one it's done. It's there. And that's the idea that you go with. And it's just pulling those little ideas and putting them all together. And I, I, yeah, I, so I love that. That was beautiful. Do you have like when you are going to uh, create a piece or get into the creative uh, state, is there like any kind of specific things you do? Do you have any little rituals or fun, just like, you know, habits that you form to, to help tap into those things? Um, <clears throat> I guess sometimes I'll pray. I'll pray to, I'll pray. I'll sit down at my tablet and pray. I'll ask for like uh, guidance and what, you know, show me something that will inspire me. Mm 
Um, because sometimes it's, I mean, it, all the time, it's very difficult to um, come up with something every day. And in this world, especially with like uh, social media and all that, you have to come up with something basically every day. I mean, if this is your job, you better be putting in at least eight hours. So, yep. I mean, as far as rituals go, um, besides the act of drawing itself, I do have like communication, you know, try to have some kind of communication with the higher being, you know, with God, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And um, that seems to help. It at least helps me calm down, <laughs> calm my <laughs> mind down. But that would be like a pretty personal ritual. I don't I don't really um, besides the act itself, which I think is really important too, to enjoy the act of drawing. I think a lot of the times people that are not really um, good or don't think they're good is probably because they just started or whatever and they like it. But they don't love mistakes. They don't love the problem solving aspect of, um, you know, keep, keeping things in perspective and et cetera. So, um, yeah, I would say, I would say just asking for ideas. <laughs> yes, that's, that's beautiful for a whole bunch of reasons. It makes me think of the idea of calling on the muses and yes. the idea. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if you've, Yes, that's you just read my brain. How, how I was going to say, I'm sure you read this book, and yeah, yes, the art of exactly. war completely changed the way that I interacted with. Like, it, so when you're first like getting into this stuff, or at least when I, I should say, when I first started like really wanting to take art seriously, there's like this aversion from talking about things like this. You almost feel like mm -hmm. you're being a pompous asshole, or like you're like being yeah. all like you know fool. But then the more. <laughs> The, the more that you actually have like these small successes and I'm not talking about like, you know, landing gigs or like having a following. I'm talking about what you're just saying, like you're able to produce something that you're proud of every day or these little things that like mark the 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 uh, the road of progress, you know, and the more that you do that, the more you realize. And I feel like this is relevant to everything in life. It's not you don't really know how you're doing it. The more that yeah. it's becoming successful, the less you feel like you are in control of it. And the more that I kind of felt that lack of control, I feel like I went to things like the uh, the um, uh, War of Art to yeah, try and yeah. I, <laughs> I keep, think we said I always, Art of War. <laughs> I always mix it up. So this is like probably the third podcast I've flipped it, and uh, I'm fine with that. Um, uh, another idea I love is that it's okay to spread ideas that aren't completely represented accurately because within those like smudges sometimes beautiful new ideas grow um so it's okay that we're a little off there but <laughs> i i've I started going to those books and things like terrence mckenna throughout like later years of high school and like when i started realizing this is really what i wanted to pursue in life and realizing that i was doing that to try and regain some control or understand what's happening when i get to that play that flow state or whatever you want to call it that that you know creative uh place that things are really clicking and then i realized that the only thing that all of this is saying is you just kind of got to let go and throw it up to the gods and be like hey i'm here i'm an antenna i'm open let's talk <laughs> yeah exactly i think that's true it's i think it's also a different like a like a different way to kind of get across to yourself that you're serious about something to pray right so yeah. i think um it's kind of aligns with the saying to get out of your own way um, when it comes to making art that, that happens a lot too with, uh, people having art blocks, mm -hmm. literally you're self blocking yourself. It's yeah. like, you know, you're not, a, you have these ideas and maybe they're not great, but you don't have to show them to anybody. You can just, you know, start do something, 
Because a lot of the times people complain that they can't do anything. So, yeah, I think that has something to do with that as well from uh, art with the the war of art. (laughs) You know, I think that's kind of what they're alluding to there is to just really get out of your own way, but to show yourself that you're serious. At least that's how I look at it. Absolutely. No. And that touches on one of my favorite things that I think having a creative life, whether you're pursuing it um, professionally or just personally, is so important, especially in this world that is like getting weirder by the second. It teaches you how to hold structure and anti-structure at the same time. Like to really tap into some of these creative states, you have to have the structure to sit at the desk every day and to show up and do the work. But you also have to be able to break that structure to allow the the whatever you want to call it, the other to come in because there's there's something to that dichotomy and that like duality of it that I feel it is spiritual in nature, but also just speaks to what is special about being a human being like uh, Douglas Rushkoff is one of my favorite authors and just writers and thinkers about uh, all kinds of stuff. But he says, and I've said this a bunch of times, so sorry for listeners that have to hear it again, but he uses this word that we're squishy and what is special and magical about human beings and where the imagination really shines is that squishiness and that duality and that, that paradoxical thinking that seems to be really relegated to our special relationship with the imagination. So I, I, I think there's something to that, like you have to do both. You have to have the structure and allow yourself the flexibility to make those mistakes. And that's another thing you said that I completely agree with. Like you have to be okay with the mistakes and the problem solving and realize that failure is inevitable and a good thing. And that's really hard to swallow as a human being. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it really is all about just showing up, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot, like kind of revolving around uh, war of art, but it's true. It's like, you do have to um, just show up every day and uh, you know, maybe you're not going to make the greatest thing ever, but it doesn't really matter. You just show up, sit down and start doing it, just start whatever. And, And typically what I'll do is I'll just look for inspiration and it's kind of the same thing, like the David Lynch idea. It's like, uh, you go around, maybe you'll see an artist. And I believe inspiration belongs to a person too, just as much as their art does, because not everything will inspire every single person. So if you're inspired by something, you should really hold on to that and not feel guilty about being inspired by somebody's artwork, you know. So yes. if I'm inspired by someone's artwork or if I'm inspired by, a, by an image, I'll follow that trail. And typically, I mean, all the time, <laughs> even if you were to look at somebody's image and then start drawing like your version of it, it's not going to look anything like what they do, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's that, all that stuff. It's so great to have the internet because if I were an artist, I don't know, in like a medieval time, Mm -hmm. I'd probably be trying to go look at other people's images all the time. I mean, that's what people did. Absolutely. That is a very good point. And something that I think gets lost on a lot of people as far as the creative process that like, we're all standing on the shoulders of the ideas of other people. And like the there's this amalgamation that happens via um, art and culture that I think I I think we intake things via osmosis. And when you try to kind of slow that down, or, or 
uh, push it down, then you're going. It's going to come out even more. So actively looking for those artworks that inspire you and like putting that at the forefront of what you do is a really healthy way of doing it. Like I've heard, and I guess a better way of saying that is I've heard so many people say like when they're working they don't look at any other art they don't want it to like drip in they don't want it to and it's like that's all bullshit because it's in there it's <laughs> like you are i really firmly believe we are nothing but like a amalgamation of the stories that we're raised on and the mythologies we intake so there is no not being influenced and i always I, agree. I think there's yeah and i think it's one of that's one of those like negative artistic um uh, kind of caricatures that's out there much like the uh, depressed artist or the struggling art all of those things mm -hmm. that are just like these negative and again uh, uh, Lynch talked about that in the documentary last night how like he, he used Van Gogh as an example he's like Van Gogh sure he was very depressed and had lots of problems but you know when he wasn't depressed when he was creating and painting and that's the point like everyone got they got the story wrong <laughs> exactly like, this yeah, is I, this is the podcast <laughs> that if anyone ever Ever wanted to know how I feel about an artist this would about myself as an artist this would be it because it's it's absolutely true I mean there's no way around it it's the depressed artist there's all these weird things that they have about the artist that are not true like if you it, it's a weird romanticization of a suffering person who feels deeper than you and, you know, they're connected, but they suffer at the same time. It's like, I don't I don't really think so. I think exactly what Lynch said about Van Gogh is true. It's like you can't make art, let alone get out of bed if you're so depressed. Yes. And also the inspiration. It's like I don't I that is true. It's like people have this negative connotation to being inspired by outside sources. But we're inspired to speak. Someone made this language. You know, everything that is a thing came from somebody. And we look at these things and we have ideas about them. So, yeah, I, I, I personally believe I don't I, th I think this could be original to me, but it's I I believe that inspiration is your own. It belongs to you just as much as your art does. And you shouldn't feel yeah. guilty about it. Well, I think it's true. I mean, um, it, I just anything that hinders a person, especially in creativity, is an is, uh, you know, a disease. It's if you, if you, if you're inspired by something, just like I was mentioning earlier before the podcast was started, um, you know, some people want to be mechanics at the age of five. Some people want to be a pharmacist or be a surgeon or et cetera at the age of five. And some people want to be artists mm -hmm. and those inspirations belong to you, even as an artist or even, um, working in any field, if you're inspired by somebody's work, you should follow it because that's, I believe that whatever you're inspired by, whatever you're beckoned by is calling to you and you should follow yes. it because whatever's going to come out of it is, is a good thing. It's, it's, it's like a path. You should follow it. Whatever you're inspired by, you're not just inspired by it just because it's like, who even knows where these thoughts come from at all. So you should come, you should always go towards the things that are, uh, feel like there's something there because usually yeah. there is. And intuition, the intuition that you're talking about right there is something that I feel like the more you lean into your creative life and the more you kind of tap into that imagination power that we have, the more you get those like 
breadcrumbs along those trails and that intuition gets stronger. It's like anything else. The more you practice these muscles, the more you can recognize that like these are things that happen all, all the time if you can pay attention to it. And that can that can be a powerful tool. I mean, it can also lead you to like some paranoid, weird states that a lot of <laughs> creatives have gotten to. But if you integrate it right into your life, it can be a really uh, it could be a really cool way to view the world and kind of shake up your uh, the mon the mundaneness that we can fall into. Absolutely. I agree. And I mean, even in those uh, paranoid states, <laughs> in retrospect, could also be very valuable. You know, oh, yeah. um, you should explore all parts of your mind, you know, yes. um, and try to get something out of it that you could use, especially for your craft. Um, it's yeah. very important. But I mean, if you look at like my work from when I was like, I don't know, 15, I'm 27 now, but I've been at this for 12, 13 years and sharing my work on my Instagram goes back to like 2009 or something. But That's awesome. um, the work I was making when I was younger was very dark. <laughs> so uh, I think that has something to do with just being a kid growing up and having that angst and all that. But I would do some pretty just weird, like monstrous, um, grotesque textures, drippy things. And, um, I don't know. I, I think when I got older, I had like a shift in my mind, like, Oh, I had already explored this and I'm kind of getting bored. Cause at the time yeah. I was like, I couldn't make an art piece without it being some kind of weird or disturbing because that's what satisfied me at the time. And I wanted to satisfy that part of my mind, like it, during that period. But I just started to move gradually and shift out of it. And you can notice these things. That's one of the coolest things about, being an artist from a young age um, and growing up is you kind of have this visual history of your, um, your, your paths in your mind. You know, it's, it's, it's really cool. I love looking back and just seeing how things change. And I really am excited about how things will change like 20, 30 years in the future. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's like, a whole different type of documentation than let's say a journal or the the type of written things because it's almost like a little bit deeper there's there's a little bit of subconscious that's that's in there that's brought to the surface and preserved from that time of of your life and yeah i, I completely agree and it is like really important sometimes to go back and look at those trends and be like oh maybe that was the uh creative dark night of the soul I was going through there like I had to get all that dark imagery out and like I definitely can relate to that and like looking back and I think something like you said the the angstiness of it all and and just the kind of playing with taboo and like playing with those like monsters under the bed for the first time visually is always a fun thing I feel like but I I feel like when I and I you know I this is always such a weird thing to say but I guess when I first started really thinking about the the images I'm putting out and the stuff that I'm putting into the world when I uh, became a professional illustrator and realized that people were buying things with my artwork on it. I really leaned into going with more positive and kind of whimsical type of imagery because I started realizing that people were like taking this in and I wanted to contribute something that was a little bit more of what I would like to see in the global mythology, if that makes sense. Do you think Absolutely. something like that kind of played into your transition as well? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's weird at all. I think that's, um, I think probably a lot of people could relate to that. I think, you know, when you're growing up, you don't really know much. And I think growing up, you kind of go for the extremes. 
Um, I think maybe because you feel like you're invincible, like even in your mind and you kind of want to play with these dark themes that are kind of taboo um, or just weird to people. And um, I couldn't help it really when I was doing it at the time. I just had to do it. But yeah, absolutely. I think I I, I definitely thought that exact thing. Um, And just kind of like the Beatles, like how the Beatles have these attitudes of mostly every song that they make to an exception of a few lines, maybe by John Lennon, um, are positive. And, and, um, they're really about, um, emitting something positive into the world. And, um, I mean, especially with songs, it's basically like a mantra. If you're singing the song or have it in your head all day, you know, it better be positive. Um, it could have a huge effect on you. So I, I've definitely thought about that and I've actually probably in the last, I don't know, three, four months or something like that. I really thought about that and just trying to make things that were blatantly positive, you know, symbols or um, just scenes that were about positivity and not mysterious or cryptic and kind of weird, but just blatantly positive. I love that. Do you feel like that's been a recent shift in your work? I know you yeah. said just now. <laughs> it's been a couple months, but like, have you felt that as you're getting closer to thirty and stuff? I think so. I think I think so. I think it's. Um, I think it's just you. Real you do realize, kind of like what you were saying, that you know people are looking at this, and um, I care about other people, so I want other people to get something. It's like food, you know. It's like yes, like people can't just eat food and live. They also need art. They need beautiful things to look at. They need entertainment. We all know this. We do it every single day, just as we mm-hmm. eat food. So it's like when people look at my work, I don't want it to be poisonous to them. Um, not saying that it was, but I want it to be clear. You know, and and I do think that when you get older, you kind of do reach this certain state um, where you're just trying to hopefully do the right thing (laughs) and just trying to figure things out in that way. Yes, absolutely. So I've been talking to so many people right at that age range, like in this 27 to early 30s. I'm 37, so I'm about 10 years older, but like. They're, most of the people I've been talking to, and a lot of them are um, either artists or researchers in the paranormal world, and it seems like if they hadn't made this shift, like in the paranormal world, a lot of people start out with flesh and blood monsters and UFO nuts and bolts, like very you know extraterrestrial, cryptid style stuff, and there's a progress you can see where that leads to bigger questions as far as consciousness and how we interact with the rest of the universe and what happens after we die. And that's the stuff that I love about the paranormal. And it's a great thought experiment to play with a lot of these things we've already been talking about that you can do in a whole bunch of different ways. But there is like this time period that seems to be if they hadn't hit that transition 27 hits and they're all like okay give me the weirder books give me the stuff that talks about death and and like the psychopomps and like all of these big themes and i i love seeing that like i think there's something really special to that transitional period of i I guess more of a reflective or inward reflection in life yeah and being so early in it, I suppose <laughs> it's kind of, I, I mean, I really do feel like kind of a shift, but it's, um, it is pretty early. It's, I, I mean, I could date like not even that long ago, show some pretty weird work. Not that making weird work is bad. And I think if you fall in love with the idea, yes. you should pursue it. But there is like this desire to um, do something more 
positive. I mean, also when you're the artist making it, um, you have to get into it. <laughs> so it's like when you're making all these weird things, there's this kind of part of you that's active and alive. That's also weird and opening the door to other weird things, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you kind of want to shut it in some way. Yes. Um, and I think that it has a lot to do with spirituality. I mean, you know, I, I definitely think art is spiritual. I'd say yes. it's a, um, it's all about the inside. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it maybe not the whole inside, but it's, it's parts of it that are real and they come out. So, um, yeah, I think, it, you know, being so early in that transitioning period, I feel like I've got a lot to learn and like kind of <laughs> just who I am in that way. But I agree. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we are um, finite beings, right? We, we, we're going to die. <laughs> so when yeah. we get older, we realize, oh, this, this isn't going to stop. You kind of want to learn a little bit more about death and learn a little bit more about like what it is to be a good person. I mean, when I think about like my grandparents that have passed, you know, I'm lucky to have my set of grandparents, but like my great grandparents that I remember, I still have one great grandma alive but That's you know awesome. when they pass you you look at them as great people you know they try to live a good life and i think when you get to be a certain age you also want to have that sort of legacy <laughs> we are uh, nothing but the stories we leave behind for those to talk about when we're gone. So I think that's exactly uh, a big or that's one of the big motivators and i think that's one of those things that like us as artists and i think that everyone's an artist in a way like i think all humans are just like you know inherently creative and anything like we were talking about earlier that leads people to interact with that creativity more is a positive thing but sometimes i think it takes these giant events like losing your grandparents or like that that touching these big ideas like death and things and seeing how how we can uh, cope or integrate or kind of uh, wrestle with these ideas and these inevitabilities with the artistic endeavors. And we can kind of incorporate those into our creative lives as a way to realize that like, you don't have to hold on to the sadness or the sorrow that you can just let that visit and be a thing. And maybe that's that dark period of drawings that happens that, and again, I wanted to say like that time period and age thing is not, you know, that's just a pattern I've noticed with the people I've been talking to. I'm sure people get there at 14 and 44 and everything in between, you know, like I, I think there's a different paths for everybody, but I, I, any of it that kind of gets you to that point where you're, you're, tapping into that uh creating for more than just uh for fun like you're tapping into that place where like you can just get and let go and it can be anything it can be making uh you know mod podge or collages or draw i really think there's just something to dealing with life's big questions like that via creativity that people could get a lot of use out of and i think that it's starting to become more prevalent. Like I'm starting to notice a lot more people that are, you know, utilizing art in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely makes sense. Yeah. I mean, hopefully there's a shift <laughs> just in general with people wanting to go toward more positive things, you know, yeah. in the world. I, yeah. 
I, I think there's definitely a shift towards that. And I definitely think, you know, I'm not discounting the uh, the shadow side or any of that from all of this, because I definitely actually in that uh, Grant Morrison talk at DisinfoCon, he specifically is talking about the countercultures and how, you know, some of the things that like the hippies and a lot of these people got wrong is just completely ignoring the the dark side of things. And that mm-hmm. you have to, you have to let those gut those goblins bubble up every once in a while and say hi and let them in and then. And, and then shut that door and let them go go away again for a little bit. But when you completely, uh, you know, shut off that portal to the uh, other side, that's when things start poking out in weird ways. And I think there is something to that. Again, I think there's like this this practice of dichotomy that goes through everything, whether it's uh, creativity or religion or spirituality. All of these things have this like you have to hold both if you want this to yeah. work. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I think Carl Jung talks about stuff like that, like. Uh, uh, the dark self, you know, the, mm-hmm. the darker side of yourself and you have to kind of confront that and understand it in order to really be a good person, you know? Yes. That, that's his shadow work rap that like gets very people. It's so funny because I am not like an expert in any of this stuff, but it's just interesting to me the way people cling on to these different ideas and kind of transmute them into their own thing. And shadow mm-hmm. work is one of those things I've seen presented in so many different ways. But I, I yeah, I think you're dead on with his original intention there. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think it makes sense. P- you know, kids who are 14 don't know what it's like to be, you know, 37, etc. They don't know what it's like to have kids. They're not supposed to know. They're, they're no. kids. So, you know, I think when you grow up and you're experiencing like these dark things, like I, I remember I, I saw something recently where a guy was talking about how a lot of times kids are like uh, have these are like into emo imagery. I know when I was like a kid, I was really into like Jack Skellington and all this stuff. And it's because you're in a transitioning period in your teenage years from a child to an adult. And so there's like this death that is occurring inside of you of a child leaving and an adult coming. So it's like, it is a dark time in some way and a way that they're subconsciously expressing this is through um, a death, like darker imagery, this type of thing. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And um, I think, I think the maturity of an age where you have children, you can't understand what it's like to have children if you're a child. And I think when you do, um, become that age, um, you start to, um, you know, you're going to die still. It's just that your attitude about it changes. You know, yeah. when you're, a ki- when you're a kid, I think everything, the world is open to you, but there still is a death occurring. There's always a death occurring really, but yeah, it's about how you look at it and accept it. Yeah, no, we are a whole blanket of deaths all kind of woven together. Like, I think that's a beautiful point because you, it, it's so funny how like it's hard to step back and look at it but yeah we've died so many times by the time we're 27 or 37 and like even uh biologically i know there's something to the whole like we are completely different cells by every five years or something like that like we are physically different people and i love when there is like you know some sort of materialist science that parallels all the spiritual kind of headier stuff that we've been talking about which seems to be like the case all the way down like again that's another huge thing that david lynch talks about in that documentary is the the parallel of quantum physics is that quantum physics as uh, interpreted through things like transcendental 
uh, transcendental meditation. And that transcending is like, you know, proven by quantum physics as the thing that everything comes from nothing. And that like, that is what it is to transcend, transcend. And I love those little parallels, even though I don't understand the science behind them. <laughs> yeah. Do you, could you, do you remember a little bit about what he said about that? So essentially, and I'm going to do a really poor job in explaining this. So again, I'm going to link it in there. But he starts with the idea that scientists in the material world started breaking things down to the smaller scale and realizing there's a smaller scale. So it starts off with like, you know, molecules and there's a bunch of molecules all bouncing around. And then it goes to atoms and there's fewer atoms. And then it goes down to electrons and and protons and it's fewer. And then it gets down to the point where there's the unified field theory and everything is one and we are all everything's connected and interrelated and that's the same thing that transcendental meditation has been saying since it started for you know millennia at this point and uh or however long i don't really know but uh essentially they've been saying the same thing in these meditation practices for a long time that now whenever quantum physics started with that whole line of thought was getting to the same thing and that the two are related so it did that make sense? <laughs> I think it does. It is. It is. I mean, it's hard to um, relay these things in a layman <laughs> type of way <laughs> when it, when we're not scientists. You know, it's like exactly. I'm sure David Lynch has so many uh, intellects at his disposal where he could find this out and then convey it in some kind of laymanish way. But yeah, I I think aside from all that stuff, I mean, I definitely think that there is something to meditation. And I mean, when I was living in Las Vegas, <laughs> I was getting into all sorts of crazy um, types of meditation. I, I I wanted to at the time go and um, see a transcendental um, meditation uh, instructor because yeah. in order to learn this, you have to you have to go and seek one out in your area. But <laughs> um, you know, I didn't really have the money to do that at the time. I was pretty broke in Vegas, <laughs> but I've recently totally. been able to. But now I, I could go and do it, um, but I haven't. And um, I, but at the time I was doing all uh, you know all sorts of different types of meditation, and I was getting I was kind of going in the rabbit hole there. But I definitely think it changes your attitude um, about just the day to day, and I think it slows yeah. you down, and I think it um, makes you more positive in a very noticeable way. As long, you know, mm -hmm. just in the same way as if you go working out or whatever, you know, it's the same thing. It's like if you, you know, nurture this part of your mind, of part of your spirit, and for a consistent amount of time, you definitely see a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And I, so I love the way that uh, David Lynch talks about transcendental meditation. And he specifically says that it is the best form of meditation uh, as he's the way I think the analogy he uses is that there's a million ways to get to the same place, but the transcendental meditation is kind of like the high, the super highway that you will transcend on your first meditation experience is essentially what he, uh, what, what his claim is throughout this documentary. But I jive so much with the other uh, kind of spiritual teachers or meditative teachers I've heard talk where there's not as rigid of a format. Like I definitely view the daily drawing. I, I get up pretty early before the kids around 4 a.m. and drink some coffee and start my start my day in a sketchbook. And sometimes I will start with some some breath work or doing some just like 
close your eyes and follow thoughts or loving kindness meditation or, you know, all these different things that I dip in and out of. But the consistent is the sketchbook. And once I leaned into the fact that that is my daily meditation, it really kind of opened up a lot of uh, a lot of things for me to be more consistent with all of it and feel that that impact it has on a daily basis. Definitely. And it's cool to see how things just get better. <laughs> like when yeah. you're, when you, when you really do um, treat this as um, something that's important, it becomes important. You know, mm -hmm. that's just how it is. I mean, when I was young to where I am now, like having worked for like the federal Bureau of land management, I got to do work for rip and dip and Cheech and Chong, Josh Harmony from toy machines, the list goes on, but it's, so cool. you know, it's all because, of a desire and a consistency of just going to the sketchbook, just making art. And, um, and it's really, uh, it just gets better. It just keeps getting better. And I hadn't, I would have no idea ever in a million years that any of this stuff would come to me. It's just that, um, I pursued it and wanted it to happen and didn't really care if it did or didn't happen. But, you know, it's just, if you show up <laughs> yeah. and you have, and you have genuine interest and intent, things will genuinely happen for you. It's really, it's really a interesting thing. It's very crazy. <laughs> it's magical. You're, 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 you're doing magic is what you're, is what you're describing in a much more pragmatic terms. I feel like as far as, and I think you touched on two, two things that are huge in a lot of magical traditions. And one of them is exactly what you just said, that it's about showing up and doing the thing every day, but it's also about not taking it too seriously and having like these rigid goals for yourself, like not, not setting these intentions and being like, well, if this doesn't happen, then it didn't work. And realizing that things work in a lot of different ways and kind of could come to flourishing in a, in a way you may never have thought. And maybe it is like a complete, I don't know, intent thing, you know, it's one of those things where if you're showing up with the intent of just making good work versus showing up with the intent of making a successful career, like holding both of those ideas is probably the place to be if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think it does make sense. I, I mean, you know, for me, it was just always such a thing that was just there, you know, from a, I, I just can't remember not being interested in visual art. You know, I don't know what it is, but I was always interested in it. And, um, I, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's kind of like when you do something and you look at it, sometimes I'll look at things and go, how did I do that? I don't like, how did I, how did this happen? And a lot of the times I, I think, you know, it's probably not me. It's probably, and that helps take the pressure off of myself a little bit too, yes. is, is just being thankful really for what has been gifted to me from God, from the spirit, from, you know, whatever. And, and, and thankful that I've been, um, conditioned to be a receiver for these things <laughs> through my interests and through the yeah. things that, that beckon me to do this thing. Absolutely. So I, 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 there's a lot of pressure that gets taken off of like, Oh, this didn't work out or this didn't do whatever, because, you know, I just kind of have a gratitude feeling about, um, a lot of these uh, things that come out of me and if they're, if they don't do something, even if they do something for one person, that's fine with me. 
you know, if yes. they don't, if yes. they do something for me, <laughs> that's fine with me. So absolutely, it's, that's what I mean when you, when I'm saying to be genuine about it, with genuine intent is you don't do things. If you're, when you give a gift to someone <laughs> and you expect something back, did you really give it away? Yep. You know, it's like yep. when you're, when you're making artwork and, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I was, I had it and then it went away, but well, I know exactly what you're saying. And that's so true. And I think, again, it touches on one of my favorite kind of big principles in a lot of uh, esoteric or magical workings. And that's it. That's is if you sent, set the intent in service of others or a community, the magic is way stronger that the magic is in the sharing. It's not, in, not a hundred percent in the creation. Like that's part of it is right. tapping into the other and receiving that message from the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. But the other half of it is sharing. It's like when you mm -hmm. get into learning about Buddhist monks and meditation and stuff, half of it is trying to obtain the enlightenment and the knowledge and transcend. But the other half is bringing it back and sharing it with more people and and spreading that message because what's the point if you just kind of sit with it yourself and another way to look at that that i love is like I, this is just the david lynch podcast now because i think uh it's, uh, it's I perfect him for up. me yeah this is great i mean i again the little synchronicities like that the fact that i watched that last night and then oh, that's yeah. how this all started like oh you have no idea all yeah. my friends that are that are, could be listening to this right now, they this is the perfect subject. <laughs> Wonderful, <laughs> hilarious. So, David Lynch, he gets asked like, "Why is he making this documentary now? Why is he going on this worldwide tour to talk about transcendental meditation now?" And he explains it way more beautifully and succinct and everything. But essentially. Uh, the core of what he was saying, I think, is that the more people that are practicing this tradition and this meditation style, the more powerful the effect is for everybody. Like it's this mass net of positive energy of love that you can tap into. So why yeah. would he not want to use his position in the world to spread that message? <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, and I like the way that you kind of helped me get my point across to there. I mean, and, and I guess with what I was trying to say is like just the genuine, when you're being genuine, you don't really expect something back, especially if you're creating to give, right? Yeah. So if you're making artwork and you're expecting to get money, you're expecting to get recognition, are you really making artwork for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. And it's probably not. And if you're, if you're truly giving something away, you want to give something a nice, a nice gift, and you don't want to expect anything in return. And you, it's all about giving within proportions. It's like the whole thing uh, in religions or, or, you know, I'm sure I think Jesus had some sort of rant about this, but it's about giving, you know, what you can give at that time, not more than you can give or less than you can give. And like, I think there's something to that. Like if you're going to give something away, make sure it's a value, at least to yourself, because then it will inherently be a value to somebody else. Like if you value right. it, then someone else is going to find that value. Yeah. And in the same religious um, doctrine, it talks about things coming back to you, <laughs> which I yeah. think is also a truth. It's also like the spiritual truth is like yes. when you give things away that are of value to you without expecting anything in return in a genuine kindness and pure intent, it will come back to you. And I yeah. think that's true. I th and I think that my life has been kind of that way where it's like I do these things in a genuine way I try to at least and I've had a lot of opportunity come my way so I, I definitely can vouch for that in some way 
Absolutely. Do you have a practice? Like, do you have a practice? Are you religious? Do you have a current? And if this is private, please tell me and we can skip right by it. But uh, <laughs> I figured we've been talking about all this for a minute. I might as well ask. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a, um, as far as Christian denominations go, I grew up in the most extreme that you could possibly grow up in. My parents, my dad's a minister even to this day, and I come from a line of um, ministers. But, wow. uh, but we, I grew up in a Pentecostal, um, household. <laughs> Whoa, so, that's so that's amazing. like, that's like, um, uh, I guess an example of a nutshell would be people who believe in like the Holy spirit, the gifts of the spirit possessions, um, stronghold speaking in tongues, this type of yes. thing. So at an early age, I was exposed to a lot of this stuff and I saw a lot of these things, um, that made a pretty big impact on me growing up. And, um, I think in some ways, you know, I think there was a time where I kind of wanted to get away from it, <laughs> but I think in mm -hmm. some way when you're raised like that, it always is something in the back of your head where you're like constantly wondering. There. Yeah. It's a part of you. I mean, just like traditions at Christmas or something like that. It's a part of you. You kind of want to, you know, carry it on in some way, but I don't know. It's interesting. This is a um, subject that is soaked in blood, <laughs> to put it lightly. <laughs> so it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing. But uh, I think there's a lot of truths to it. And I think that um, there's a lot of um, just, I guess, resentment toward it because of the blood that was spilled over these types of things. Yes. And, um, and that's understandable, really. But I yeah. think growing up in the Western world, I think Christianity has been pretty prominent. So I grew up in that kind of household. And I think even subconsciously, I probably hold on to some of those like values and teachings still. Oh, they're in there. And especially when you grow up in that form of uh, Christianity, where it is very, uh, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, which is its whole own other ritualistic, but it's not nearly as well, I guess there's plenty of jarring images, but like, you know, seeing someone speak in tongues or those type of things, that's got to stick in you more than more than a lot of the religious experiences in other in other faiths. Like, I, I mean, I think there is something about being brought up in these uh, traditions that allow you to be a little bit more open to all the stuff that we've just been talking about. And like one of the things that I've really loved to see is a tr or I I have been um, excited to see as a trend in a lot of spirituality or or just philosophy in general is the idea of kind of taking that type of youth or that type of experience when we're young and making it your own and being able to drop apart, drop away the bad parts and like, you know, realize that there's plenty of positive things you can still, you can still take with you. Like I know so many people that would call themselves Buddhist, but still pray to Jesus all the time because they were brought up Christian or Catholic and that that's their dude. And that's who like they identify with <laughs> as like a spiritual teacher. And I think that's beautiful to kind of crisscross Absolutely. and mesh things. You know, I, I, I love, that idea. I think that's the, the most mature way to look at it <laughs> is um, a lot of people want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And I think it's just the culture that we live in right now. And I think things evolve. But, you know, um, just having like a very rigid way about religion and the teachings you get from religion, you you know, if, if, if you met some you know, jerk in church or something. And then you no longer think that the religion has anything to offer or your parents, 
you know, said something weird or used it against you, something like that, you know, you want to like just dispel all of it, but there's always something to learn out of basically anything. I think in any, any type of teaching, even if there's only 1%, you know, that you get and then 99% is trash, at least you got 1% of something that you can move on with a positive um, effect on your life, you know, and that's, and that's what you should do smarter people, I guess, or the more thoughtful people, I guess, is a better way of putting it, especially the ones that work in the realm of like philosophy or spirituality or the paranormal, even it's all about that, that flexible thinking. And like everybody that I've heard that I feel like has some really uh, fun things to say that are meaningful and very intelligent, almost always preface it or end it with like, I don't know, this could all be bullshit or like, you know, this is all like that being married to ideas too much is the, is the opposite of what all of this should be about. Like it should, your, your thoughts on whether it's uh, your connection with the universe or whether it's music, they should all progress and evolve. Like we shouldn't stay stuck in one type of, you know, one type of idea. I feel like absolutely. I've always loved the idea and I guess, uh, you know, there's plenty that will say this, I, this thought project turned out poorly, but, uh, but Robert Anton Wilson's idea of reality tunnels has always meant a lot to me. And the idea of living a day in the shoes of other people, taking what is useful for your life and realizing that you can just shift reality tunnels and it's all just a big, big amalgamation of timelines you can jump in and out of and take what works and leave the rest behind always seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. I think that's true. And I think it's really important to, to just not be married to ideas in such a um, dogmatic way. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you think, what I was going to ask uh, a second ago, do you think that being raised in that type of religion also affected your creative life? Like, do you feel like those, those remnants uh, uh, pop up while you're uh, making stuff there? Um, I think recently they have, but to be honest, I don't, I, I think, um, when I was growing up religious or with growing up in a religious household, rather, I don't think I grew up religious, but, um, growing up in a religious household, I think did have an effect on me, but I think at some points it was maybe a little negative. Um, (laughs) you know, parents just try to do the best that they can, but I mean, I had parents that wouldn't let me, you know, read Harry Potter or play Pokemon. (laughs) So So it's, you know, and I remember, you know, during this time that going back to, you know, my younger years of making art and it was kind of darker. I remember my parents being like a, a little bit, um, I guess, cautious about it, maybe not very, they were supportive, but they were saying, you know, are you sure this is the stuff that you want to be making? Is this the right stuff to be making? But at the time I couldn't help it. I literally could not be satisfied making art and I really wanted to make art unless it was this weird type of thing going on. And I think um, during that time, maybe it helped me in a rebellious way, (laughs) just being a kid wanting to be rebellious against something. So that was more fuel to make me creative. But I think, um, I wasn't ready for the stuff that they were telling me really. I think you kind of get older and then you kind of think about these things. Um, and not to to say that you have to be older to do this, right? Like, you know, you could be 14 and have a totally different life than I had. But I think just for me personally, that's how it was. It's just, I wasn't really ready to accept some of these things and didn't really see the value in them until 
until I'm, and this is kind of the Carl Jung stuff. I know there's a lot of ad- adaptations of it, but you know, just you confronting the darker side of things before you could really understand the lighter side of things. And I think that's exactly what happens. I think maybe with growing up religious, they try to get you to skip this part and just go straight to being like perfect. <laughs> and yes, I don't think it's possible. Yes. No, that's where you separate the religion, like the, uh, cultural control mechanisms from the good stuff that religions have in there you know what i mean like i feel like Mm -hmm. that's where the stuff comes in where it's more about we just got to make these kids quiet so we can get our fucking work done for the next nine (laughs) hours you know shit shit like modern day society has inserted that may have not always been there but uh i i think you are so dead on with that and it's really i I don't want to put anything on your story, obviously, but it's almost like those negatives can turn out to be something that shapes your worldview in an interesting way. Like the fact that you didn't have access to those big cultural touchstones probably does make you interact with uh, the the fiction or the world in a different way like it probably helped give you a different lens in things being that you had a whole different kind of mythology that you were brought up on even if it's not the mythology that you still you know uh, functioning completely or was the most positive at the time like i think it's interesting how those type of things can like maybe play in like i i was talking about it with somebody the other day i'm dyslexic and i'm i have spatial disorders and stuff like that that made school very unenjoyable but at the same time i feel like it also made me view things along the lines of what we've been talking about much differently as far as like yeah you just have to show up and do it and eventually things will work like i i think a lot of that came from the struggles i had with dyslexia so i think it's interesting to see how like these different pressure points in life might change the way we interact with everything absolutely and i can totally relate to that and i can totally see that in my own life absolutely but i mean definitely with school <laughs> i had such a hard time with school and i just didn't want to be there and um yeah. i mean even with art and um like art school art lessons my parents wanted to put me through art lessons and stuff but i was very protective over art and i was very i didn't want anyone to tell me what the right way to do it was and i did reach a certain age even there too where I kind of wish I did let somebody tell me something because, you know, you draw things um, in symbols when you're a kid and you grow up and you draw things flat. And um, instead of drawing them in dimension, you look at things as symbols. And that's why things turn out flat. And um, I wish when I was younger that I did let somebody tell me. I mean, I got invited to like go to an art school and stuff like that and totally just rejected the idea. And um, I think... Uh, I think I'm happy about that. That could have played a good part, like you were saying, with you know just closing certain doors, leaving other strange doors to open, mm-hmm. um, and ideas and practices to be implemented that wouldn't have necessarily happened. But there is a lot to learn <laughs> from people who have been doing it for a, a longer than you've been alive. And um, I wish in some way I was able to navigate that in a way where I could protect my work and also learn things. And, um, yeah, I had to learn that the slow way. I'm still learning, but it's, no, I, yeah, I think with all of this stuff, it's an ongoing learning. And that's one of the nice things about like, uh, being a creative, especially one of the few lucky ones that gets to do it for a career is that 
I there's no end to this learning process. Like there's no end to the the progress. And like I get excited about working every day. And like the times I'm kind of bummed is when I'm like not able to get out to the studio. And like that's a it's a, a different type. I'm so conditioned from being raised in a house where you know parents you you don't like your job, you do it to pay the bills, you get through and whatnot. And like having the exact opposite kind of relationship these days and in a lot of ways is really weird to me but uh th there's something about like that oh man i just lost my train of thought now <laughs> Joey, that's so funny i we, totally had it up jamie point. <laughs> <laughs> you've touched on so much amazing stuff that i relate to really uh really strongly and i, I wanted to ask you as far as you know we've talked a whole bunch about our you know, thoughts on all of this stuff but are as far as your personal interaction with it all do you feel like do you experience synchronicities and some of the more uh, esoteric side of creativity like have, have you had any kind of uh, precognitive experiences or anything fun like that um kind yeah you know i do actually um, and this is something that I, I play around with too, when I'm talking to people that I just met or something kind of bring up synchronicity, which I think is also a Jungian idea. But, um, yep. and the idea for yeah. anybody listening that doesn't know what that is, is like, uh, synchronicity is kind of like if you're thinking about someone and they call you, or if you're thinking about like a red Cadillac and then a red Cadillac appears, that's yes. so, um, when I was living in Florida, I, I, and I was making art, I was drawing a lot of like. I thought it was weird to draw like deserts and mountains together. Right. Cause I was like, where does this possibly exist? There, there's totally. not a place where you could see a desert and a mountain. And so I thought that was cool. And so as I went on, I lived in Vegas and, you know, kind of my art switched a little bit there. I was drawing more like Western themed things, a little more like diving into that. I had already had done that. But um, when I moved to Moab, Utah, I saw the image <laughs> and it was kind of weird. It was like I saw the desert with a backdrop of mountains. And I was like, this, I, I thought this didn't exist. I thought this was just something cool that I had in my artwork. Absolutely. And, and then it, there it was. And I was living in that place. And I, and I thought to my, it was like a personal thought. No one could prove it or quantify it. But I was thinking to myself, this is weird because here yes. I was at home drawing these things and I ended up living in it. So it was, yes. it was very strange. And, and yeah, I would say that that, um, is, is a weird thing. I mean, there's times where I would go through a life event and then I would make art depicting that life event in some kind of symbolic way, but never a time where I was making art and then ended up living in the place that looked like my art. So that was yes. kind of interesting. That's beautiful. I love that. Synchronicities via creative stuff is my favorite. Like there's a whole uh, line of paranormal events that are called hyperstitions, which are essentially things like you just described or things in which like uh, fictional characters become real because of the uh, much of imaginal or how much imaginal power has been put into them. And stuff like that is so beautiful. There's a dude named Eric Wargo that does a lot of writing and talking about time and synchronicities and precognitive creativity. And I love his definition of synchronicity. And I, I have it written down because I like it so much <laughs> on my desk. It's a uh, synchronicity is what it feels like when we precognitively orient towards rewarding miracles. And I think that is like, 
a beautiful way of putting it because when you're drawing those kind of like scenes that you think never exist, like you unaware, you're unaware the, that you're actually orienting yourself to eventually encounter that scene. And like, there's definitely things that pop up all the time for me and this podcast has been a way to notice it way more and the beginning of this episode it's a beautiful example that the, the whole David Lynch theme of this is just so because <laughs> I had that so fresh in my brain and then whether it was just you know uh, well, I guess to step back a second, the other reason I love synchronicities and things like what we just talked about is it kind of um it amplifies that idea that everything's connected. Like the fact that you could tap into that scenery and without having ever seen it kind of speaks to the fact that we are all the same thing, whether it's, you know, rocks, dust, trees, cactuses, like we're all made up of the same stuff. And are I definitely fall into a more animist worldview where everything is kind of lively and has a soul and we're connected to it all. And I think little synchronicities like that, where you can, depict a place that you've never been kind of speaks to that. And the idea of precognitive creativity is something that also speaks to the idea, to the fact that we are, we're experiencing everything at once and we are the same as everything around us and everyone. And when you start viewing the world through that, it just it has to make you a nicer person. That's my, that's what I was getting to is like all of these, all of these things we're talking about at the end of the day, to me, the pragmatic ex or um, execution of them is just being nice to not only the people around you, but like the, the, the critters and the animals and like everything else, because we're all connected. So why would you be mean to yourself? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I guess having those experiences too, um, you know, if you're focusing on the negative or you're letting the negative get too much a hold of your just daily passing mind, that you could attract some things that you don't want to be in. <laughs> so, oh, you know, yeah. so no, that's like, definitely an option. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I think at the heart of it, I don't think I really wish, like I had this thing where even with the weird stuff that I made, I never wanted to, and if you can look back and see that there's none of this, I never wanted for there to be any blood violence or anti-religious imagery in my work. Mm -hmm. So even if all the weird stuff, I never wanted there to be anything. There were some lines I would not cross that in my That's mind, awesome. I thought were crossing into a too negative of a place. And, Absolutely. Um, and I think if, you know, the synchronicity and, uh, kind of like projecting and orienting myself toward, um, the future, um, I think that probably helped. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there's something like, there's something to that positive orientation of it all. Like, I think this stuff can work, like you just said, in that negative way. Like, you can definitely draw in the negative side. But I almost feel like it's ramped up even more once you realize that you you can lean into the positive side. There's so many... Mytho so much mythology and uh, writing and whether it's fiction or uh, somewhat historical like esoteric texts as far as like the power of the darkness and that like you know certain like uh, wizards won't go to certain places because of the dark side of things and even though it's more powerful they put lines up and stuff and I kind of think that's all bullshit like I kind of think the power really is in the love and in the positivity and that's always been the stronger side but there's this like there's it's almost like a facade you just have to kind of scratch beneath a little bit to to see that that is just you know that it's glitz and glamour and not not the actual thing yeah i don't i don't think there's anything better than um 
the positive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you just you just really have to. I mean, if you wanted to just do an experiment, be a total complete jerk, <laughs> go out to public <laughs> and see how people react to you. I mean, not in a good That's way. You you'll probably deter a bunch of people and omit yeah. some characters from your life. But I mean, if you go out with a positive intention, you want to treat people fairly and kind, you know, then yeah, things will probably be better for you. I mean, that's a karmic thing too. You yeah. know, it's just something that you have to be aware of. It's easy to be unconscious in life and go through life, you know, just robotic autopilot, like yes. letting every negative emotion possess you, you know, like you get really angry and you start throwing things. It's like, you're being possessed by an emotion right now. You know, yes. you have to be able to have a, uh, conscious, um, awareness of what your attitude is and how you're moving through life. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a, um, there's an Irish priest I really love to listen to talk, and he was talking about the way that um, the people of his country used to talk about the um, experience of, of emotions, and it was much more that the emotions aren't a part of us, that they're just kind of stopping by for a visit, and you just want to greet them with a cup of coffee or water and say, thanks for showing up, I'll see you later. And I think that is exactly like the best way to handle those things. Like Those those negative emotions are going to pop up and arise, but like you said, you can't just hold on to them and, and lean into them. And I think the more that we realize that all all of this is like liminal states we're constantly passing through. The more we can kind of lean into the, uh, the, the stuff that makes us just be better to each other and ourselves. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think being aware of it, I mean, it's also a thing that is really cool to, that connects you to other people in time and in space. I mean, when you think about people that were alive in the 1300s, et cetera, you know, they're experiencing the same level of emotions that you experience too. You know, they go yes. through your body yes. just as they went through their body. Probably even animals, too. I mean, we can't really communicate with animals on that um, type of level where we can talk about our emotions and how they make us feel. But, you know, I'm but, sure that connects all living creatures is this experience of having very powerful emotions and emotions that are dangerous and emotions that are um, positive and helpful. You know, it's... Just to be aware of that and to be able to talk about it, I think, puts you ahead of the curve because, I, you know, back in the day, they would think like Mars is the god of war and like this god is the god of love. And like they're trying to quantify and understand how to think about emotions and what they are. So mm -hmm. being in this time, I think it's a lot easier to um, orient yourself with this knowledge, you know, knowing that we can move forward and not let these things necessarily get a hold of us or understand them better. We're not possessed, really. It's a figurative thing, but, <laughs> you know, maybe totally. we are. <laughs> And I'm going. Well, I was just. It's funny you said that because I was just going to be like, I completely agree. But at the same time, I'm sure there's plenty of evil things in which can possess you out. Like I, I think there's an ecology of beings out there for sure. And like we are, uh, we. T it's funny because I think there's a lot of parallels between the ideas that like, you know, we're kind of custodians of this little part of the universe that we have but that means there's other custodians and there's a, a whole system of stuff out there that who knows like the whole idea of good and evil i definitely think is one of our little constructs like time and all those things that allow us to 
do it's the framework or the scaffolding that allow us to like build these beautiful cities and these works of art and everything but it's not the art or the building it's just the scaffolding that allows us to get here if that makes sense yeah i know exactly what you're saying i agree yeah but dude okay so this was beautiful and i think we are in a wonderful place to wrap this up (laughs) that's cool because i feel like we could go down seven more rabbit holes of all this i i honestly didn't even get to talk to you about some of the stuff i had written down as far as just like uh little things i'd love to get your thoughts on but we'll have to do this again because i feel like they're going to be whole other hour long two hour long pods in themselves (laughs) yeah man Um, i'd be down yeah so if you're down to uh to have a chat again we'll set that up soon because i i loved this i feel like i'm kind of uh, not i shouldn't say this but uh i wish i could just get into making some stuff right now because i'm feeling pretty inspired after this conversation but (laughs) i have to go have a play date with my five-year-old and hang out (laughs) with some other five-year-olds for a little bit so that'll be just as uh fun in a in a different way (laughs) yeah it'd be a good time to digest it (laughs) Exactly. Um, But yeah, Joey, before we wrap this up completely, can you let people know where to check out your work and anything you want them to uh, follow along with? Sure. Um, Well, right now I'm working on some client work. I have some branding projects coming out probably sometime in mid to late January. Some album covers coming out. That'll be cool to look at uh, for some clients. Um, I have some fonts that are available for designers out there that might be interested in that. Uh, Keychains, stickers, paper goods, prints, that type of thing over at uh, joeyhowellarts.com. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram at the same handle, joeyhowellart on Instagram, Twitter, um, all that good stuff. And uh, I think that about wraps the plug up. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Well, like the podcasts do, I'll have everything linked below for easy access for everybody. And I highly recommend I the post-production introduction will be all about raving about your beautiful artwork, Joey. Because So uh, another little behind the scenes for listeners, me and Joey have never talked more than a couple uh, direct messages on Instagram, even <laughs> though it sounds like we're like old friends talking about weird high school stoner ideas here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really love how natural this all flow joey i'm so glad that we uh we were able to make this happen yeah man me too it was a lot of fun and not really have done any long form um like a pod i had like this guest interview thing with chi chin chong that's on my website but it was more like an hour-long interview instead of like a long-form conversation i really enjoyed it it was awesome Awesome. Well, we'll do it again for sure because I feel like we have plenty more to talk about. And yeah, as far as, uh, you know, anything that you would like to wrap this up with or are you all good? Uh, I think I'm all good. If anybody really wants to know what I think, go and check out my artwork. Yes, that's perfect. All right, man. Well, thank you again. Enjoy the rest of the day. You too, man. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.